Chuck Swindoll told a story years ago. Uh, <clears throat> in his youth, he's sitting at the family table at home with his brother and his parents. They're going to have a meal together, and he's asked to give thanks before the meal. And so he does. He prays, he gives a blessing. Whatever it is, it's short, it's trite, it's pathetic. And his older brother, I think his older brother's name was Orville, but I might have that wrong. His older brother gives him this scathing look and says, when are you going to grow up? And he just wilts because he felt appropriately rebuked and reproved. And his brother's like, get a clue and grow up, buddy. Grow up. And Chuck knew at that point he needed to hear it. And I think from time to time, probably semi-regularly for most of us, we need to hear the same thing. Grow up. Grow up. This is the third in our 12-week series called Strengthen the Things That Remain. So we've talked about conversion to Christ, and we've talked about leaving the past behind. This morning our theme is grow up. Grow up. You know, if you look in this service on a Sunday morning lately, and this morning will probably be the exception, there's normally babies in the service. And you know, everybody loves babies, and they love puppies, and kittens because you know they're cute and they're small and they sort of elicit our affections and when babies poop their diapers you know we're not really surprised or shocked and we're not angry with them right because that's what babies do that's what babies do in their diapers and we clean them up and life goes on but what would you think if the 30 something year old guy next to you was soiling his drawers It's gross, isn't it, Mike? Even to consider, it is, it's gross. Because that's not what 30-year-olds do. Or, or think of this, when you're feeding a baby, uh, especially a baby just thinking, not puppies or kittens, but uh, they get milk, right? They nurse from their mom or they get the bottle and they nurse on milk because they don't have teeth yet, right? So they can't really eat anything solid. They're not ready for it. But if you invite a 20-something to your barbecue... And he turns his nose up at the burgers and whips out a bottle from his bag and starts slurping. What would you think? Something wrong with that guy. There's something wrong with that guy. Because we know that to be an infant in the stage of infancy, that's just fine. That's appropriate. But to remain a baby indefinitely, this is not a good thing. But I think many of us spiritually remain infants. We enjoy our infancy so much that we refuse to grow up, and culturally we idolize youth. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of us live in the first stage of Shakespeare's description of the life cycle of man, that stage of infancy in which we're mewling and puking in our nurses' arms. In the world we live in, we are encouraged to remain children and avoid responsibility as long as possible. And you guys, this is um, historically the emphasis we have culturally. It's not just the states. It's the materialistic Western world. The emphasis we have on adolescence and remaining a youth, it's historically an anomaly. It's never occurred in any other age. And you know, in most cultures through history, you look at, you know what a bar mitzvah is or a bat mitzvah or some equivalent? You know what it was? You were telling a child, you're not a child anymore, you're an adult. 
And it was done early, what would be early for us in the adolescent years, you know, 14, 15 years old. Because culture and society didn't have this ongoing adolescent summer. You know where you're old enough to be a consumer and to play video games, but you're not old enough or mature enough to be responsible or to be of any use to anybody else. This is historically, it's never occurred before. It's our culture. It's because we're so materialistically wealthy, we don't depend on our children. We can tell them, you can be a kid forever. Well, the church has bought into this. So a lot of people who become Christians as infants, infant Christians, we stay there. We're the 30-year-olds soiling our diapers. We're the mewling and puking babies on our nurse's arm. Because we haven't got it that we're called, having been saved, to grow up. To grow up. I want to encourage us this morning to grow up. Some scriptures that deal with this topic. I've got just a couple on the negative side. Hebrews 5. And we won't be in any place very long here. Hebrews 5. We're not sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think Paul. I tend to think Paul too. But I'll just say the author to Hebrews. In chapter 5 he's talking to the audience about this guy in the Old Testament named Melchizedek. And he says he's got a lot that he'd like to say about him, but he's not going to. And this is the reason why. Verse 12, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles, the ABCs of God's Word. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only milk is not accustomed to the Word of Righteousness. He's an infant. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the author's writing this group, and he says this, You should be old enough and mature enough that I could talk to you about these things that would benefit you. But you're not. I'm not going to waste my breath telling you about Melchizedek because you're not ready. You're ready to read Jack and Jill, not Dante or not Theology. So i got to go back to the ABCs. You should be teachers, but you're still down in the grades 1, 2, and 3. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. By the way, if you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, those cultures, those Christians were a lot like the United States today. Materialistically very wealthy. They had a lot they could spend their time and energies on. But spiritually, they were very immature and carnal. And so Paul says this at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Brothers, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you weren't yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able The Corinthians were looking at Paul and they were saying he's really not that impressive and he hasn't told us much that's impressive. But Paul responds and he says, you don't understand. You're not ready for solid food. You're still like infants that can't handle it. You haven't cut your teeth yet. Milk is all I can give you because it's all you're ready for. That's why I've talked to you the way I have, he says. Now, contrast those passages with these. One from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 2.26, when God brings this new prophet onto Israel's scene, 
he describes him this way. The boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor with both the Lord and with men. God chooses a guy he's going to raise up. It's going to be his man in Israel. And it describes him saying he was growing in stature and in favor with both the Lord and with men. He's growing. He's God's man and he's growing. He'll be prepared for the things God has for him. In Luke 2.40, I think Luke intentionally uses the phrases or the imagery from 1 Samuel when he describes Jesus this way as a boy. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. There's this emphasis. God's chosen someone. What's descriptive of their life? They're growing. They haven't stayed where God started with them, but they're growing. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, you guys know this is in the middle of a passage about spiritual gifts, but Paul digresses to say whatever your gift is in the church, it should be exercised in love. And in this context, he says, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. He's not specifically talking about spiritual growth per se, but it's this principle There's a time to be a child. That's okay. It's a good thing to be a child in the days of childhood. But as we grow, we put away those things of childhood. We grow up into a full, mature, grown person. Colossians 1.28, Paul says this there. We proclaim Him. We proclaim Christ. We admonish or we encourage, we exhort every man. We teach every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. This is an important concept. Paul says, the way we're teaching and the things we're teaching have this goal to present every person complete in Christ. In the Greek, there is teleos, a telescope. We get the term telescope from the same word. And it means the end of a thing. And in this sense, it means we want everyone that we teach and instruct and disciple to become the full-grown version, the full-grown version, the end product of what God wants them to be. What should they be at the end of the process? So Paul says we, we admonish, we encourage, we exhort. We're sort of prodding and poking people. Why? So that they can become the full-grown version of what God means them to be. And then last... Peter says, grow up in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, God wants us, having come to Him, to not stay in infancy, but to grow up spiritually, to become the full-grown, best version of our new selves. Infancy, if we're an infant, if we're a baby Christian or we're muling and puking, that's okay. Soiling our diaper and nursing, it's okay for that stage of life. But if we stay in spiritual diapers, there's something desperately wrong. And I just think many of us are still in spiritual diapers. And before I go on, let me just say something to the young guys here, young men. Attention for one second. As a man... As a young man and as a man, as you guys grow up, you are called to leadership in ways that women are not, specifically in the church and in your family. You're called to leadership in a way that women are not. 
what kind of a man and what kind of a leader are you preparing yourself to be? If you look at the trajectory of your life now, where are you going? And in five years or ten years, what kind of a man are you going to be? And I say man, not boy. What kind of a man are you going to be? We were reading Proverbs 31 or discussing it with someone the other day. And I can't remember the conversation. Anyway, the point was this. You read about this sterling woman of character. The question for guys becomes, what kind of a man would deserve that woman from Proverbs 31? And why should a woman hook her wagon to your star if your sense of maturity is the next level of a video game? Are you with me on this? Young men, you can't afford to stay boys. You've got to commit yourself to growing up. And by the way, I think this is one of the key things that the enemy propagates in the church and in the culture today. The enemy castrates men. Boys, and keep some boys forever. And to be a boy in the days of boyhood is fine, but to remain boys is shameful. You're called to be men. So if you look at your life and the trajectory you're on, what kind of a man are you going to be? And how can God use you in the future? You're called to a higher level. If we buy into... This call to grow up spiritually, what does it take? What does it look like to grow up? How do I do that? How do I go about doing that? If you're a parent of an infant, or if you've been a parent or watched a parent, you know, just a couple things about this. When we bring a baby home, the first thing the baby gets is us as parents, right? Morning, noon, and night. We put those little ones to bed. Our voice is the last thing they hear, right? And then we wake them up in the morning. And when our oldest was a little tiny baby, Kathy and I would take turns on who got to wake her up because she was so excited, so happy to be up in the morning. But as a parent, you bring that infant into your home and you give them yourselves. They become part of your family. So the first thing you get is your parent, your father and your mother physically. Your parents then are pretty careful about making sure you get the right kind of food, that you have food so that your body can grow. And you know, if you've got babies in the hospital that don't grow, they call it a failure to thrive. There's something wrong there. So parents are pretty careful about making sure infants have formula or they're nursing, they get baby food as they get a little older, they have room to play and grow so that they can exercise their arms and their legs, grow up. But very intentional about parents giving themselves to their children and then giving them food, protecting them from things that would harm them, etc. Those same kind of dynamics go into this process of spiritual growth as well. And by the way, I'm beating an old, old drum here when you hear several of these things from me this morning. The first thing related to this is you've got to have quiet times, guys, or whatever you call them. You've got you to gotta make a, a commitment in your mind that you're going to meet with God every day in the scriptures and in prayer. Call it whatever you want, devotions, quiet times, whatever phrase you want. You've got to meet with your spiritual parent every day in his word and in prayer. I've said all of this before, but I've never met a mature Christian who didn't have this practice and discipline ever. And of all, the, and of all those, I've only met one or heard of one who didn't do this in the morning. A friend told me about a guy we both knew and respected as a spiritual leader that is quiet times at night. I know one guy who's done that. Otherwise, it's in the morning. 
And I can make a good scriptural argument for why you should do this in the morning. When you wake up, up, you should be looking at your father's face. And you should be hearing your father's voice. You know, if you watch sunflowers or other plants like them, those plants will bend towards the sun. As the sun literally goes through the sky, those plants' orientation will change through the day. In other words, they grow towards the sunlight. And you and I tend to grow towards the thing we're giving our focus and our attention to. So for us, we need to develop a discipline or a habit of starting our day with our Father. And when I'm talking about quiet times, this doesn't have to be long. And and I'm not even talking about Bible study, anything hard. I'm just saying starting each day meeting with our Father, hearing from Him in the Word, and talking to Him about the things that concern us. This is fellowship. It's relationship. This isn't Bible study. This isn't hard work. This is just spending time with my dad and with my older brother, the Lord Jesus, and just getting to know them and what they're like. This isn't complicated at all. If you don't do this already, I would strongly encourage you to. I have no hope for your spiritual growth if you're not committed to this discipline. No hope. It's the minimum. It's the relationship upon which the rest of your spiritual growth occurs. If you don't do this, you probably won't do the other things. But even if you do the other things, if you don't do this, it won't be personal. And it won't, it won't be personal in the way that you know your father, you know your older brother, such that you want to become like them. Quiet times are just about the relationship, not hard work. If you haven't started this, start, make it easy, 20 minutes. For some people in the morning, 20 minutes sounds like a lot. If you start this habit, what you'll probably find is that 20 minutes isn't enough. That 20 minutes becomes 30 minutes or 40 or an hour or whatever. Because you'll, you'll get used to the taste of that food in the morning. You'll like spending time with your dad and your brother. You'll need it. And I can't tell you how many people have told me when they've started having their quiet time and they got used to it, they found that their days weren't nearly as good when they skipped out. And it's not that it's magic, but it's just that I'm oriented in the right direction when I start my day with the Lord. And I read in His Word, I listen to what He has to say to me, and I give Him my concern. If you're a new Christian, start in the New Testament. Start in John's Gospel or the Epistles and read through. Use a journal if you want. You can record briefly what you felt like God showed you that morning in the Scriptures or what you learned about Him. Or you can record the prayer that you offered to God that morning. It's not difficult, it's simple, it can be brief, but start with that. Start with the daily quiet time with the Lord at least. The second thing is related to more work and more discipline and it's this. uh, Work at knowing God's Word. At memorizing some key passages and verses and studying it. Um, You know, if you see guys... uh, in college sports, uh, when I was at K-State on the track team living in the athletic dorm, uh, the table that they set was always high in protein. And you could get as much meat and as much peanut butter and as much milk and butter and you name it as you wanted. Endless supply. You were working out hard and you needed a lot of calories and you needed a lot of protein to bulk up the way they wanted you to. It took a lot of food. It was very intentional. We want to do something like that with the Bible. We want to know the Bible well enough 
that we're, as it were, ingesting spiritual protein. The quiet time is our relationship primarily with the Lord, but Bible study and memorizing at least verses and passages is the way we bulk up and grow more significantly. Um, Also, if you don't know your Bible well, Paul talks about Christians who they get blown around. This is a different picture. They're unstable. And it says they're unstable because they don't know what the Bible teaches. So someone offers them something else, and because they're not sure, they blow in the wind from one direction and then the next. They're not stable. If you study the Scriptures, doctrines, what what does a particular book teach, or what does the Bible as a whole teach about holiness or salvation or whatever, you gain stability. You become grown up. You're not confused in your own mind, and you have something to offer others as well. So memorizing some passages that are helpful, being aware of what the Bible teaches generally, this would be the next step. And this is the way we add protein or meat, if you will, to that plate to help us grow spiritually. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 2, Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now his image here, he's not castigating Christians because they're drinking milk. The image here is the desire part. If you've seen the little baby that's really hungry, they are not satisfied until they latch on. They're screaming, they're crying, you know, the little fists are going. They're determined to get fed. And that's what Peter says here. You should have that same kind of passion and motivation the little hungry baby has for God's word. Peter says if we have that kind of passion, that kind of motivation, we're going to grow. It's not that we stay with what Paul had called milk, theologically, but it's that we have that strong kind of desire for the truth. So there's all kinds of ways. You can get memory cards. You can do Bible studies. There's a host of things you can do along this line. But you need to do something so that you're putting God's Word into you. Memorize it. You know what it says and what it teaches. The third thing is this. Meet with other people who are doing the same thing. You should be regularly meeting with other Christians who are doing the same thing, whether that's a men's group or a gal's group or a home group or whatever. If you're not meeting with other Christians and rubbing off on them and they're rubbing off on you, you may grow and you may grow some in the right direction, but you'll be stunted and you won't grow the way God wants you to. You won't grow balanced and even. If we stay on our own, what tends to happen is we grow in ways we have bents towards, but not otherwise. But when we hang out with other people and we talk about scriptures within, when they're challenging how we're choosing to live our life, that's a, it's a significant way that we grow. You can't grow, I would say, uh, appropriately apart from this kind of interaction with other Christians. When I was about 14... Uh, my neighbor, Marion Carver, was my basketball mentor. And we were neighbors, and so I'd jump a couple fences, and he'd let me play hoops in his backyard. He had a nice basketball place there. And Marion would tell me that if I wanted to get better, I had to play with guys who were better than me. And so I did. And so I would ride out with Marion Carver to Hayden West. I was 14, 15 maybe. And I'd play with guys who were two and three years older and bigger than me. And it was really humbling. I was a good player for my age group. 
I was a very good player for my age group, but man, was it humbling to hang out with these guys. They were a, a very, very good basketball team, and and uh, Marion says, "Don't, don't bother with that fake. Nobody goes for that, you know." Or uh, they'd steal the ball, they'd block my shots. It was embarrassing, but it made me better because I realized it put things in perspective, and it helped me to grow up because I was hanging out with guys who had been at it longer than I had. So I was challenged. And we need to do that with each other. We need to challenge and encourage and exhort each other. We've got to be that iron sharpening iron. Sometimes that's a little uh, painful. Sometimes we don't like it, but it's helpful. That's part of the way, significant way that we grow. Hang out with others who are doing the same thing. If you are particularly bright academically, you might be able to memorize a lot of scripture or do study. You might be able to excel at the knowledge area or arena. But if that's the sole way in which you're growing, you're stunted. You're a spiritual pygmy. And I mean it by this. If you're not growing in your character primarily represented by humility in serving others, you're not growing into Christ's image. You know, Jesus came to a religious culture, and these were guys that had memorized the Old Testament. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were experts. They would shame most of our biblical scholars today with their knowledge and their depth and their memorization. But they totally rejected Christ. And they were proud and vain, and God rejected them. So it's possible to take on all the knowledge on one hand and yet really not be growing spiritually the way that counts. If that growth in our knowledge and truth isn't accompanied by a transformation of character, primarily represented by humility in serving others, then we're missing the kind of growth God means for us. You remember Jesus said, The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And then he offers himself as that ultimate example. He's God who came to the earth as a man who became the servant of all. And he called all his disciples to do the same thing. So if you and I grow in knowledge, but we're not humbly serving others, we are not growing in the way God wants us to. And we are failing to bear his image in a very, very significant way. Humble service towards others, for me, is kind of one of the key markers of someone's spiritual maturity. Lots of people are academically smart, and so they can shine as far as quoting Scripture or telling you what the Bible says. But don't emulate that kind of growth if they're not humbly serving others. We want both. We want to know what's true, and we want to bear Christ's character primarily seen in humble service towards others. If you are going to commit yourself to grow spiritually, it does require some discipline. It requires some decision-making on our part. It requires time and energy. A lot of us make resolutions, you know, we're going to lose a little weight, we're going to work out, we're going to start our quiet times, whatever, and then it kind of falls by the wayside. And what we're really talking about is a long-term commitment, a long-term commitment to a discipline If that means getting up 20 minutes earlier for you, that's a discipline. It's a cost. And you have to say, I'm willing to do that in order to grow. But there's there's costs in everything we're doing. If we're going to grow spiritually, it's going to cost us something. 
It might mean that you watch less television, for instance. Or it might mean you do less in the way of extracurricular activities in the in this, uh, summertime or in the school schedule. But if you're going to have quiet times, if you're going to do some form of study in the Bible, if you're going to hang out with other people doing the same thing, it's going to cost you something. It costs you in the way of time and energy. And that probably means you've got to displace something else. But in the big scheme of things, what else is not worth displacing for you to grow in the image of Christ? That's God's work in us. It's to make us look like His Son, that full-grown, blown-up version, complete version of ourselves God means for us to be and to have. Last, when, if you commit yourself today to grow spiritually, this is a long term process and you've got to be patient you know sometimes kids go through growth spurts I saw Ethan in the hall this morning he's, he's really grown tall in the last year but you know for most of life we grow so slowly that we don't see it other people tend to see it if, if they see us over time but it's a long term process so you can't afford to get disappointed if you don't feel like overnight you've become a mature giant. It's a long-term process that requires a long-term commitment. So be patient. Let me close with this. 107 years ago, a character was created in literature in the uh, book called The Little White Bird. Do you guys know what this is? I didn't either. I'd never heard of this. But J.M. Barrie's figure, Peter Pan, was written in 1902 in a book called The Little White Bird. There were about three chapters in this book in which Peter Pan was the figure. But that part was so popular that they excised those chapters. And that became the book Peter Pan in Kensington Garden, I think. And then Peter Pan and Wendy. And of course there were plays and movies and stories about stories, etc. Peter Pan was the boy that wasn't going to grow up, that everybody loved to love. Peter Pan. Listen to the song from the movie. You've probably heard. You know, it's, uh, what would we say, Bill? You know, it's, in the song, it's the line and then it's the repeat. You'll repeat this in your head, I won't. They say, I won't grow up. I will never even try. I will do what Peter tells me and I'll never ask him why. We won't grow up. We will never grow a day, and if someone tries to make it, we will simply run away. I won't grow up. No, I promise that I won't. I will stay a boy forever and be banished if I don't. And Neverland will always be the home of youth and joy and liberty. I'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up. Not me. Not me, not me, not me. No, sir. Not me. You know, when you're reading children's literature, we romanticize this notion of Peter Pan, the little boy who never grows up. He stays a boy forever. But if you read the books, he's not that great a role model. He's capricious and irresponsible. You can't count on him. He's self-centered and self-serving. He's prone to pout and he's disloyal. That's Peter Pan, the boy who won't grow up. He makes an entertaining children's story, but it makes for a very shallow and deficient model for a Christian, leaving us forever muling and puking in our nurse's arms. 
Yeah. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember the negative images. Mewling and puking. Soiling your diapers. Whipping out your bottle. I think we should be challenged and chastened because we tend not to grow up. We tend to be like the lost boys. And we simply say to ourselves, we're not growing up. We're going to remain spiritual adolescents and call it good. So I think, my call this morning would be to banish our desires to be Peter Pan's to Neverland and to choose to grow up instead. Let's pray. Lord, it's a great thing to be an infant in the days of infancy. And there's a time, Lord, for every phase of our life on this planet under the sun. And we ask you to help us to embrace every season in its time, but no longer. Lord, help us to have a desire. Peter says, like that infant hungering after your word. Lord, help us to have a desire to honor you by growing into your image. Lord, I pray especially for the young men that you would give them a a holy uh, repugnance towards remaining boys instead of men as the culture around us encourages them. Lord, I pray that you would, as you did David, train their hands for war, help them to become the men in Christ you mean them to be. Lord, I think of the uh, scriptures that talk about the young women as pillars in your temple. Help us to refuse to be content with infancy, Lord. Help us to be determined to honor you by growing into the full-grown version of the men and women in Christ you mean us to be. Help us to settle for nothing less than that, Lord. Help us to grow up. In Jesus' name, amen.